This passage we've read is a beautiful vision of the future. Multitudes from all nations worshiping God together. No more hunger or thirst. Every tear wiped away. What a vision. But this vision was far from the reality of the communities that this letter was addressed to. John, the writer of Revelation, was writing to people going through great difficulties. They were under enormous pressure. They faced persecution because of their faith. They were weak and powerless politically, socially, economically. The world that they lived in, the world as it was, was not a favorable place for them. In these undesirable circumstances, John had this vision of a very different future. It was so different from their present reality. It was a vision of faith. This is where I realized faith is a vision for a different future. Faith is a vision for a different future. Faith is the vision and belief that this future can come into being. And that's why the Hebrews writer says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, many people in John's communities were starting to give up on this dream or this vision. They were starting to lose faith. Life as it was seemed too entrenched, too stuck in place, and too powerful. And so they started to orient their lives towards life as it was, not on the future that God would bring. They began adjusting and adapting to life as it was, even if it wasn't really what they wanted. John shared this revelation so that they would continue on in faith to not give up and to hold firm. I really like all the carnations on the mothers. And on this Mother's Day, I think of many of our parents, especially those older first generation of immigrants to Canada. I mean, for them, the things that they went through in life after experiencing war and poverty, the future that they wanted was very different from the present that they knew growing up. Coming to Canada itself was an act of faith, faith in a new future. This faith gave them tremendous energy. Starting with nothing, they worked day and night just to get established and to bring about this future that they had envisioned. And their energy and desire for this different future left them very open to faith in God. 
They welcomed God to usher in this new future they desired. Their faith led them to sacrifice tremendously, including for the church. I mean, with that, it's remarkable. Think about it. A lot of them were working 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., seven days a week. No breaks, no vacations. And yet, every Sunday, there they were in their suits and nice attire to worship God at church. It's amazing. And so when I think back, too, it's amazing that I attended church every Sunday pretty much because my parents brought me to church. I don't know how they did it. Not only that, they gave so generously. I mean, most of them, they were not rich, they were not wealthy, but they gave so much and built these churches that we enjoy today. And so as I think about them, I realize this. When you have faith in a new future, it gives you great energy and you make great sacrifices to bring that future about. They had this faith, and from that faith came sacrifice. John saw a clear picture of this new future. At the end of Revelation, he describes what this looks like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. John was imploring his communities to hold fast in faith for this future that God would bring. A common question that many of us ask in our churches today is, where is the faith of the next generation We always see young people leaving our churches and leaving the faith. And this has been a a concern on the hearts of many first-generation members as well. But if you probe deeply enough, I think the question that comes to mind is, why do I need faith? I think that's really the question. And the reason why so many people have left faith in churches, why do I need faith? I mean, the first generation, they needed faith. They yearned for this new future. It was clear for them what they were yearning for, but they knew that on their own, they were pretty weak and powerless. I mean, they had experienced powerlessness as a nation, being at the mercy of these great powers around them. So they knew they needed a greater power. So they welcomed God's help. But times have changed. And we don't have the same yearnings as they had. Their wishes actually came true, I think. Because we live quite abundantly now. Here's the simple truth I realized. If you are content with your present life, your present situation and life as it is, then You don't need faith. Or if your goal is to simply adapt to life as it is, to plug into the world as it is, then you don't need faith. All you need is effort, smarts, and good luck. 
thing is, though, I think most people know that everything, life as it is, is not all right. Even in the midst of our material abundance, we feel that somehow things are not all right. We know there are problems. We know that things need to change. I don't think people just want to simply plug into the world as it is. But the problem is, they don't have faith. They don't have faith that things really can change. They don't have faith in our institutions and leaders. And also, I think in this complex and confusing world we live in, people don't have a clear picture of the future they desire. And so people just kind of fall into despair or, and resign themselves to the world as it is. And we live day to day. I believe that each generation must have a new vision for the future. We cannot have the same vision for the future that the first generation had. Our times and our circumstances are so different, and so must be our vision. We must still imagine and dream of the kind of future that is different from what we see today. What we need is faith for this new future. Jesus came to bring about a different future. His life on earth was kind of like today's passage. People came together to worship God. He fed people who were hungry and thirsty. He wiped away tears by restoring them and healing them and forgiving them. In fact, the whole revelation that John received was the revelation of the risen Jesus. It didn't end after he died. This is what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. The whole book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus himself. And when you read the whole book, it's a very interesting book, a lot of very apocalyptic language, but once you get beneath that, the revelation of Jesus is that, yes, things will get worse in this world, but ultimately, they will get better. God will be victorious in the end. That is the message of revelation. That beautiful vision of the new heaven and new earth will be the final consummation of God's victory. But to be honest with you, I, I struggled long and hard with this. Because in today's age, people are just too skeptical and jaded to believe that God will bring about such a future. We've seen too much. We've witnessed too much. Things have seemed entrenched for way too long. And because we've lost belief in a future that God will bring, our whole lives are focused on the present world as it is. And so I ask myself, where will faith come from? I said with, uh, earlier that from faith comes sacrifice. John was telling his communities that a faith in God's future would 
entails sacrifice in the present. And so in the opposite way, when there's no faith, there's no sacrifice. And I think that's what's happened to people today. People are jaded. People are disillusioned. There's no faith. And so there's no sacrifice. Why would I sacrifice for things I don't believe in? And so the more I reflected, I realized that faith and sacrifice are two sides of the same coin. From faith comes sacrifice. But also, perhaps, from sacrifice can come faith. And so it got me thinking. If people are too disillusioned to start uh, with faith, to begin with faith, then maybe we need to begin with sacrifice. If people learn to sacrifice, maybe they will learn faith. I mean, sacrifice, what is that? It's giving of yourself for the well-being of others. It is putting the well-being of others ahead of yourself. And I realize the act of sacrifice itself is an act of faith. Because you have no idea whether your sacrifice will make any difference. In many cases, it probably won't. And often we won't see any fruit from our sacrifice. That's why it's, it's not a very motivating thing sometimes. But you do it simply because it's the loving and right thing to do. True sacrifice is fueled by nothing more than love. But I realize it may be fruitless, but also there is nothing like the potential power of sacrifice. Sacrifice has the power to change hearts. Sacrifice is the seed for a new vision. You know, when Russia first invaded Ukraine, I mean, the world was shocked at first, right? But the world then became electrified by Zelensky's decision to stay in Ukraine. Do you all remember that? By now, his famous words to the Americans who offered to help him escape are etched in our minds. I need ammunition, not a ride. The sacrifice of his own safety stirred people, their hearts, and gave them the belief that they could resist, that they could fight. And it jolted world leaders awake to unify and rally around in support of them. We need to teach our children and young people. We need to teach ourselves how to sacrifice. And this is so challenging because we live in a world and time that is so opposite of that. Our whole society, our whole economy is built on convenience. Everything that we need is just at our fingertips. And our wealth and our affluence have made us slaves to our comfort. Everything I do is my choice. I mean, I think comfort, choice, and convenience are great. We're thankful for that. They make life easier. But when our lives revolve around comfort and convenience... It destroys our ability to sacrifice. Convenience kills sacrifice. Convenience kills faith. 
I believe that the fight of faith for our generation is to reclaim our ability to sacrifice. That is one legacy we need to reclaim from the first generation. A fight to free ourselves from the bondage that this comfort and convenience has over us. I mean, the very definition of sacrifice is doing what's inconvenient and uncomfortable for the sake of others. We need to build up our muscles to sacrifice for others. This ability to sacrifice is a practice and spiritual discipline. We need to practice it. For those of you who know basketball, Allen Iverson is talking about practice, but here we need to practice. It's difficult because we are very self-centered creatures, but spirituality is, takes us beyond ourselves and beyond our own comfort and convenience. Sacrifice brings beautiful things and reaps bountiful rewards. And sacrificial love is at the very core of our faith. God sent his only son into the world to die for it. Jesus' faith in God's vision led him to sacrifice himself for it. What was a tragic death for Jesus on the cross, for us, became a beautiful sacrifice. St. Paul expresses this clearly. And the life I now live in the faith, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross changed people and gave them faith in a new future. Jesus' sacrifice changes us by freeing us from our shame and guilt so that we can enter into a new future as a new creation. When we are able to sacrifice for one another, it creates faith in others. It cracks open vision of a new possibility, of a new kind of life, a life not just built on competition and self-interest, but a life of mutual self-giving. Everyone in this world today is seeking their calling in life. We ask ourselves that question a lot. But I think here's the real secret to finding it. Learn how to sacrifice yourself for others and you will find your calling. Instead of looking for what you can gain or extract, discern where you can commit yourself and sacrifice for that person, that group, or that cause. It will change you and open your eyes to new possibilities for life. John's vision was of those who had come out of the great ordeal. Second generation went through many of its share of, and its share of ordeals. We often had to navigate these ordeals on our own. Our parents couldn't really help us much. They didn't have much knowledge or connections. Many of us didn't really have great conversations with them either. There were language barriers or they were just working all the time. Family dinners, that was a very foreign concept for many. And often people didn't understand where they're coming from. 
They didn't take us to ball games or extracurricular activities. They didn't have that much to give. But what we felt was their sacrificial love. It was a love expressed not through their words, but through their sacrifices. Their sacrifice became the fuel, motivation, and power for the second generation. That sacrificial love was more powerful than any built-in advantage that they could provide. We celebrate Mother's Day because our mothers embody that sacrificial love. We have learned what it is from our parents. And their sacrifice was fueled by faith in a bright future for us. We are the recipients of that faith. It is our calling now to have a new vision for our future and that of our children. Let us help them find faith for a different future. Let us help them dream. Let us help them imagine. Let us teach them what sacrifice is. I think faith is the greatest gift that we can give to the next generation more than wealth, more than social capital, but faith in a future that God has in store for us. Despite all the problems in our world, I still believe that God will one day make all things right. Let us cultivate this beautiful faith and beautiful sacrifice. Let us sing together.